Welcome to Hobbit Hoopla. Hoopla! Hoopla! <laughs> I'm just teasing. Oh, great job. Great start. Great start. <laughs> Wait, what was the one thing you said that we should do? Uh, no, this is perfect. This is absolutely amazing. Oh, that's going to sound great. All right, ready for real. I'm a prankster. Welcome to Hobbit Hoopla. Hoopla! <laughs> or should I say, Harfoot Hoopla. Ooh. The unofficial podcast of Second Breakfast. I am Jamie Clare, and I'm here with my good buddies to talk about the new Amazon show, The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. We'll be doing episodes each week after each episode release of The Rings of Power, and we'll be talking about it, discussing it, and just giving everybody our opinions, thoughts, theories, and all that good stuff. I'm joined, as always, by our lore master, Andrew Smith. Andy Smith here, a connoisseur of many nerdy things, DC, Marvel, Star Wars, and of course, Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. You can find me at Darth A. Smithius. And alongside the two of us, we have our resident fantasy expert, Chris Pio. Hey everybody, Chris here. You can find me on socials at Apple Pio on Instagram, at Apple underscore underscore Pio on Twitter. Still working on that one. Thanks for joining us. I'm happy to be here and let's get going. And last but certainly not least, we have Jake Laxer. Hello all, Jake Laxer here, major lover of all things movies and TV shows, excited to be part of the Hobbit Hoopla team. I cannot express how excited I've been for the debut of Rings of Power. It's 9am here in Japan, drinking some tea, and I'm eager to spill it. Let's get after it. <laughs> there we go. Perfect. I'm excited for the four of us to get together and talk about this fantastic show. Before we dive into it, let's just let everybody know that you can Find our podcast anywhere you, you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, all that good stuff. You can find us online on Twitter and on Instagram at Hobbit Hoopla. And that's probably it. I don't know. Chris left when he was supposed to do his thing, but that's fine. What a social media marketing. We'll keep moving through. <laughs> Let's go ahead and real quick, we're going to jump in with a spoiler warning for everybody out there. We will be spoiling episode one and probably also episode two of The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. So if you haven't seen it yet and you don't want to get spoiled, go watch it, come back, and then give us a listen. But without any further ado, let's dive in with some initial thoughts on the episode. What did we all think? Man, it feels good to be back in Middle-earth, I tell you what. It sure does. Oh, it just... My initial thought, I'll tell you what, it felt like Lord of the Rings. Felt like Tolkien, felt like... Middle Earth, the scape, oh, the intro, everything. We've got a lot to talk about, but man, I had to get that out. I am excited, guys. Chris, we've been clamoring for this for a while. They announced this show five years ago. We haven't been in this world in a decade when the Hobbit series came out. A decade before that, the Lord of the Rings movies came out. So we just want to be back in Middle Earth. And that was what we needed from this first episode is to show us, is this Middle Earth? And I think it was. Yeah, I've greatly been looking forward to this. We have J.A. Bayona taking over as director for The Rings of Power. He's done some pretty successful things, most recently. Jurassic World. Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Also, The Orphanage, The Impossible, Monster Calls. 
really recognized more in Spain than anything, but quite honestly, I was a little nervous to see how he'd be able to accomplish the grander element of Middle-earth, and wow, did he capture the essence of Token. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot, a lot of pressure riding on this show. When they first announced that they were making a Lord of the Rings show, I know a lot of people who had been Tolkien fans for their entire lives were excited, but also very nervous to see if they were going to mess this up the way other fantasy series have maybe been messed up in the past. And then when we found out how much money they were putting into the show, I think it was something like $450 million in production. That's correct. Plus they had to pay like $250 million just to get the rights to make the show. A lot of pressure on Jeff Bezos, am I right? <laughs> what well, wasn't it the the highest costed series before this was Game of Thrones, obviously, per episode. And this was quadruple that. So you knew that they have the resources, but how's the story going to be? How's it going to flow? Is it going to be Middle Earth? Will that $60 million per episode be put to use effectively? That is the question. And I could say, after the first two episodes, I'm going to go with a resounding yes. Incredible first two episodes. I loved it. As Chris was saying, we're back in the world. We're back in Middle Earth. It feels like Lord of the Rings. We got these huge sweeping aerial shots of landscapes with the classic shot of people walking over the top of a mountain as you are filming from a helicopter two miles away. The huge fight scenes with hundreds and hundreds of people. The incredible cities that are built. The elven cities, the dwarf cities, which we'll get to. Beautiful. So, so far, I think they've nailed it as far as production goes. And cinematography, for sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Resources are definitely being used appropriately. I mean, the scope of it all was just immediately apparent. Cool set pieces. Uh, all the effects looked excellent. It's good to see real bodies in real armor, you know, fighting and getting that claustrophobic feel of war. Just the sweeping shots, of course. I'll tell you what, though, as far as scope goes, you said it best, Jamie. We got right back into Middle Earth. One of the coolest things I think they did to push that forward were the map transitions. Because if you're a fan of the original trilogy, as you know, one of the biggest tropes is, well, why didn't they just fly the eagles to Mordor? That would have changed everything. But you didn't realize the journey that they had to go on, and not everyone had seen the map of this centuries-old book and world. So immediately giving us those map transitions was noticeable right off the bat. I think it helped the pace, especially as they were trying to introduce characters. But more than that, it was a set piece on itself. It was cool to see the Southlands. It was cool to see the Shimmering Sea all, all the way to the west. Map transitions, in my book, very cool. And one cool thing about that, after those map transitions, the different landscapes were very apparent very quickly in the episode, where you go from beautiful elven kingdoms to grass plains to the ice wall that Galadriel is climbing up. It really immediately gives you that scope but also the different cultures of Middle-earth, which is probably my favorite thing in Lord of the Rings, seeing how these elves live, seeing how the small folk live, seeing how the men, the fields of grain, that was something that I've been missing. And fantasy generally never really matched up to Lord of the Rings. So it's good to see that we're back here. And, you know, tying back to what Chris was saying in regards to the map transitions, I don't think you can create a show to this scale without doing and alluding to what actually Game of Thrones provided previously in terms of setting up the the world. You know, we were pretty limited in terms of seeing in the original trilogy just the scope really of Middle-earth. But now we're going far beyond that. And I think that's entirely necessary for this show in order to see 
where this world can truly grow to. But it's it's going to be exciting. I really am eager to see this world sort of develop and you know get a little taste of what's out there beyond just Middle Earth. Now, the Lord of the Rings series, I think in a lot of people's minds, it's a 10. It's a masterpiece. So there's we have some nitpicks of this first episode. No, no. They're, they're masterpieces. <laughs> That's true. They are. We yeah. do have some nitpicks, uh, and we'll get into those as well. Because, you know, we're optimistic about, you know, Rings of Power, but there's some things that we can review. And Bezos review. is not paying us enough money to not criticize the show a little That's bit. That's true. That's true, Jay. We, we got a few things. If Bezos threw a little bit more cash our way, then we'd say it's perfect. <laughs> yeah, we got to keep that pipeline open. Okay, so I have a friend that she's not able to watch it yet. She's going to be with her parents this Labor Day weekend as we're recording. Has not watched it yet, but she asked me to describe it in one word. Ooh. What would you say to start out? And I'll lead. Gripping. I'm here for it. That is a great word. I'm ready for it. I'm right back in the world. It gripped me. Ooh, this is tough. Bringing it into one word to describe it, I got to say nostalgic. Oh, come on. That was what I was going to say. <laughs> it is. It is nostalgic. It brings you the feeling. Yeah. I would say immersive. Ooh, yes. Immersive is a great word for that. Yeah, I did feel immersed. And now that we've stolen the three best words, what's Andy going to go with? Well, I mean, I, I would. We've already said it. <laughs> Good we've, luck. We've already said it, and I'm. But I'm going to say scope because that's what it is. It's the it's the grand scope. Sure. I just gave an adjective there. Grand scope. How about that one, Chris? Okay. <laughs> we'll give you two words. Two that's words. Fine. Two words. <laughs> scope is huge. Yeah, I thought that was a good way to start out. Just what did you think? First word I sent her gripping. So she's excited. Yeah, and she should be. It's fantastic. Make sure you tell her as soon as she finishes the episode, pop on the Hobbit Hoopla podcast so she can hear that we mentioned her. Yeah, she's going to love it. So as we're diving into this entirely new story in the world of Middle-earth, I feel like we need to discuss where this story takes place in the timeline. Maybe we jump over to our lore master, Andy. Could you give us a little details about when this is taking place? Yeah, absolutely. So we have, you know, we're, we're used to the Lord of the Rings series being in this third age, and you, you often hear, oh, this is the third age, and they reference back to things like the second age and the first age. But where we really begin in the series is this exposition scene where it's Galadriel as a child in the first age when they're in Valinor. So the second age happens is about 2,000 years prior to Lord of the Rings, where, where we pick up in the first scene in Lord of the Rings 2,000 years prior to that. Now, this is a little bit different, though, because the Second Age, there's a lot of stories that happen over hundreds of years. They're compressing this timeline. So there's going to be a lot of characters in this show that in the standard lore, they're not necessarily alive at the same time. But for the show, the six seasons that we're going to get over you know, the next few years, this all happens in a span of Isildur is around at this time, so his life is kind of a good way to, to put it. They can play with the timeline a little bit. Elves live That's for true. hundreds of years. Thousands it's of years. fine. Yeah, uh, millions of years, potentially. Eternally. Yeah, so just how the Lord fact of the Rings... Fact checker Jake. <laughs> <laughs> That's fact checker Jake for you coming at you live. <laughs> Thank you, as always. Just as the Lord of the Rings began with a prologue showing the war that ended the second age the rings of power we get another prologue with a voiceover from galadriel describing the war that ended the first age leading us into the second age with the elves now on middle earth having defeated morgoth but there's still some evil 
left in this world that Galadriel is on a gosh darn mission to destroy. I think if we're going to talk about any of the characters from the show, we gotta start with Galadriel. One of the best characters from The Lord of the Rings. And now we get an entire show where she's one of the main protagonists. And I'm extremely excited for it. She was amazing in this first episode. So real quick, right before that, Jamie, I just wanted to say the real villain of this series is that little kid that threw rocks at her paper boat. That was just terrible. (laughs) Just terrible. I mean, come on. Yeah, that that kid was a dick. You're living in a (laughs) paradise, and the only problems you have are that the sun never sets. Why are you going to start casting stones? Sounds like Alaska. (laughs) (laughs) Holy shit, is Valinor Alaska? (laughs) Yeah, it is West. (laughs) So warrior princess Galadriel, it's a different take, I think, than what you would have expected in the Lord of the Rings series. I, I know that's a little dicey with some fans. But you have to remember, right, this is a a long series. She's going to go on an arc. So I think from this point where she is vengeful about losing her brother to the orcs and in Sauron, she's going to go on an arc to become what she is in Lord of the Rings, a beautiful character that's not out there fighting and and doing little Legolas jumping on an oliphant, taking down like 70 men. (laughs) Well, she's an oath keeper. Yeah, that was the greatest elven fighting tactic i've seen since legolas surfing down a stairwell on his sword (laughs) was galadriel ramping off of someone else's sword to jump on top of this snow troll what a classic lord of the rings fight scene that was that was awesome yeah and if we're already talking warrior princess i don't know who would have a problem with that because man she's badass she i like that they immediately make apparent that she is purpose bound she's duty bound because that's what she was way back when in the original trilogy. She wasn't fighting. She was, you know, hundreds of years later, but she still had that purpose. And still, now that we're getting these prequels, it's going to be fun to go back and relate to what they were doing at the actual original trilogy. And by the way, are we going with the original trilogy? Yes, 100%. Definitely. So, I mean, it's the original trilogy. You got the prequels. Are these the prequel prequels? This is what I'm wondering. And what happens when the Old Republic comes out for Star Wars? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. The Lord of the Rings, the House of the Elves. Um, If we're getting into it, I'll tell you what. That scene where they fought the Snow Troll was a clear representation of the scene where they fought in the mines back in Fellowship. Very tight combat and we'll get into the fact that things are a little less whimsical this time around, but very flourishy is the word I'm looking for. Very cool intro scene to a new Galadriel. I did really appreciate she's the commander that is going to defeat Sauron, and, you know, they go into the actual castle. The one thing that I got a little nervous about during that troll scene is, you know, when she runs up the sword and flies a little bit too far, it kind of reminded me of Legolas and, and The Hobbit, so... I don't think they're going that far here. I think they're going to lean more towards elven combat from the Lord of the Rings, which I think is a good thing and keeps the world a little bit more grounded. That initially got me a little iffy uh, on her character, but the introduction of Gladriel was good. And can I say one thing is the acting, just spectacular, just spectacular. For for what, what she was given with her lines, 
She was very direct. You could feel her anger almost in a lot of her lines. 100%. A large degree of passion. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just thought it was a all around good introduction to the character in this iteration of Galadriel. Yeah. And one other thing I just want to comment and still tying back to the, to the directing aspect. You mentioned, Chris, this reminded you of the scene in The Mines back in the original trilogy, Leo T. You know, I think, <laughs> I think one thing that is kind of impressive that Bayona has done is really utilized the original three movies as a blueprint. Not only that scene, you know, the flashback, the prologue, uh, introduction, exposition, sure, sure. if you will. Also, we even get the amazing fireworks at the beginning. It's <laughs> almost like he's doing this perfect allusion to what was very successful originally. And it's not overdoing it. I think it's done actually very genuinely. And so I'm excited to see sort of how this continues to branch out. Jamie, you're the reader. You you absorb more content in, in that uh, story writing department than I do. What do you think about the mutiny trope that we saw? I was like, oh man, here we go. And I hated that guy. <laughs> not so much the character, but I was just like, oh, that's an easy trope. Galadriel's obsessed and oh, her team's not going to follow her anymore. Uh, I don't know. It felt a little stale going into it as being the first scene after that big expose dump, but just my thoughts. Yeah, I do agree with you that it is a, a trope that's seen many times, but I, I think it has a good purpose. It shows you how strongly she feels about the goal she's headed towards, and it shows you that not everybody else thinks that she's going down the right path. And so it sets her up in this position of does she trust herself or does she accept what other people are telling her as to how intensely she's been going at it is is wrong and she should tone it down a little bit. And so it also sets up conflict within the elves themselves and kind of sets Galadriel apart from the other elves who we come to meet in the scenes shortly after that. We meet Elrond, who we have seen in the original trilogy, of course. <laughs> and we meet Gil-galad, who for the yeah. first time shows up on screen. So one thing that when they introduce, they're calling him Harold Elrond, he's writing his book, kind of sitting down, and he immediately gets burned when they say Elf Lords only. And then you realize his character, he's doing the political game here, right? Like on his way up, he's trying to get power. Maybe he's spurning some of his his friendships on the side to get to where he is. And we know where he ends up in Lord of the Rings, being an Elf Lord of Rivendell. So it's really an interesting introduction to him. And the actor, he doesn't really look like Hugo Weaving very much, but I, you know, I got past that pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, it was strange to see that face and then have someone call him Elrond the first time. I was like, you got to be talking about someone else off screen or someone. The guy has a strong chin, like a heck of a chin. Strong. Very strong chin. They had to film in widescreen just so they could fit his chin on screen. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. well, that's why they filmed it that way. Of course <laughs> they had to go for the imax cameras that's where all the extra money went into the production is they had to get the big ass imax cameras just to get his <laughs> chin on screen uh poor robert aramea so the antler guys because the hunters <laughs> yeah. as the subtitles describe them uh lore master you got anything on that i've looked this one up <laughs> and you can fact check me jake i can i have no idea just absolutely no idea <laughs> All right, so real quick on the introduction of Linden as the capital of the High Elves. Very cool. Yes. Almost reminiscent of Rivendell, but I was lacking one thing. And the music in this scene, I thought it was a missed opportunity to not use 
that Rivendell theme, and maybe they weren't able to use the Rivendell theme. Maybe they don't have mm. the rights to it. But that was one aspect of this introduction that I thought lacked. Or maybe they're saving the Rivendell theme for when Rivendell shows up in later seasons. That's you know? true. Ooh. That's true. I mean, you know, I wasn't that mad at Lucasfilm for not doing the Imperial March when Vader was in Obi-Wan. But, you know, I mean, I'm mad about this one. <laughs> <laughs> and I support your anger. I, I truly do. Um, and I'm also angry about the fact that Gil Gallad tried to send Gladriel to the West, knowing that there is evil still in Middle-earth, knowing that Galadriel was right in her journey and her attempts to find the evil and, and take it down to finish her brother's quest. He just goes off and sends Galadriel. And her entire party. And her entire party. <laughs> not, not just her. He's going He's going so over the top that he has, he's like, get everyone the hell out of here. That's how badly he wants her. All. They're cutting the defense budget is what he's <laughs> <laughs> right, that's correct. Congress has laid down the law. Our days of war are over. Our days of peace begin. And we clearly know that that's not going to be true. I sure hope not. What a boring five seasons if it's just <laughs> the elves being happy. <laughs> the worst thing that's ever happened to an elf is that a paper boat got hit by a rock. And I, I think it is. I think it is one of those cases where a character, they have... I think Gilgalad has the best of intent. He's just trying to stop the bleeding almost. You know, he doesn't want to awaken Sauron or whatever whatever it may be. He doesn't seem like an ill-intent character, but I don't think it's going to go well for him. Yeah, he's trying to keep some of the recklessness that Galadriel might be showing away. And obviously he doesn't want evil to take over the world either. And so I think everybody's just doing what they think is right. And they have opposing views on how they should go about defeating the darkness in the world. And... In the end, Galadriel agrees to go back west, but at the last second, grabs that sword of her brother's and dives into the ocean. I was shocked. We were actually seeing the opening to Valinor in the first episode of this series. Yeah. You know, it's this has been set up since Fellowship of the Ring and one of the extended cuts. You see the wood elves going to the west. At the end of the series, you see Galadriel and Elrond and, and others go to the West. And you see the opening of heaven, essentially, which is really interesting. <laughs> the fact that that happens in uh, the pilot episode is really interesting to me. I like the scene where Galadriel's standing in front of Finrod's statue in, in sort of a, a mourning place. Elrond comes up, and one cool thing is she says she can hear him breathing. And I thought that was neat, because elves have very good hearing and we know that from two towers but one thing i know that is a more substantial callback if we think about it is this is the first time elrond will try to convince someone to take the boat into the west he'll obviously have to do that for arwen many 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 years mm -hmm. later but that is for sure a callback i know that much he says you will linger here he says that to arwen as well and waste away even though Arwen has her reasons, sure, and so does Galadriel, but I think it's really cool that they had him do the convincing, hey, you gotta go to the West, and he's done it twice now that we know of. Yeah, that's a great catch, Chris. Very reminiscent of that interaction he has with Arwen. And then the last elf we should talk about before we move on to the next group of characters is our introduction to Celebrimbor, the elf who will eventually forge the rings of power for the elves so we're 
episode one of the Rings of Power, we get to meet the elf who will forge these rings. So we got a lot to look forward to as far as everything goes with Celebrimbor and Elrond. And you see with with Elrond when Gilgalad speaks about Celebrimbor, Elrond just starts beaming. He's so excited, the best of all the elven smiths in history. And then he walks onto screen and they give you kind of an ominous vibe to him. I don't know if you guys picked up on that, but I felt like there's a pause on him and then it cuts. I got an ominous vibe from a couple of the elves, especially Gilgalad. I'll say that. Definitely. Yeah, they definitely didn't have the same sort of etherealness to them from the cinematic point of view. In The Lord of the Rings, we see them always like fully saturated in light and this ethereal music plays behind them. And we didn't really get that. Right. Yes, the purity, if you will. Yep. Yeah, it's interesting difference that we have here in the Rings of Power versus what we've seen in the Lord of the Rings. We'll move on from the elves, but I just got to say, with Calibrimbor, I'm a gamer. I've been waiting for <laughs> this for a while now. He has been... We've had a couple game releases from Middle Earth, the whole universe here in the past couple of years to keep us holding over for this series. But Calibrimbor, this is not my first introduction. The Shadow of War games were excellent games. I'm not sure if we have any gamers listening out there, but uh, he was a prominent figure in that, if only as a spirit, not actually as the elf he is in this series. But Calibrimbor, I'm here for it. Very cool introduction. Hey, Chris, and I just, if you're going to throw out game names really quick, the scene Uh-oh. that you just talked about with Finrod's statue, if you look around that architecture, I thought about Lord of the Rings Online. If you played Lotro... Lotro. You, you will know like if you start out as an elf this is i, I thought <laughs> immediately this is lotro live action save that for our side podcast lotro <laughs> lotro, hoopla. lotro hoopla yeah a lot of incredible elves that we've met so far in episode one in linden there's one more good elf that we gotta talk about a rondeer in the southlands as well as bronwyn the human most likely that he meets um, in one of the towns in the Southlands. The lands of men. That seems to be an interesting setup for a storyline. Where do you guys think that story's going to go? First of all, where's my map transition? I know it's an audio format, but <laughs> yeah. uh, come on. <laughs> Can I get like some whooshing sounds? <laughs> whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. Map, 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 map. Whoosh. The map transition, it, it just, <laughs> it was a long way. They really showed it. This is a far off land over here. It was. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. northeast. It was a journey. Yeah, no, I think that it's going to be kind of interesting to have him as the sole elf that's venturing into the lands of men with a potential love interest as he's getting pulled away into the darkness, as we see. And, you know, it's it's interesting. We have a conversation with him atop one of the towers. They've been stationed there for 79 years. And one thing that I really sort of enjoyed was we have Watchward and Revion talking to Arondir, and he goes, we watch over men, not because of what their ancestors did, but who they still are. Also alluding to how vulnerable humankind is in Lord of the Rings. So on that watchtower, can I throw in just a theory? If you look straight off in the background, there's one large mountain, okay? In the back. (laughs) I have the theory that the Southlands is Mordor, and that's Mount Doom. Episode one, baby. 
It's the pilot. <laughs> I don't hate that. I don't hate that idea. Wow. These are the humans that were most affected by Morgoth, and I think it fits. That seems like a good right. place to for Sauron to to build his lair. It, I don't hate that idea. Thirty minutes That's in, baby, that. Mount Doom. I don't know. I like that. I'm gonna need at least a season before we give some legs to that. <laughs> hey, you're gonna look back in seven years and think, holy crap, Andy had it from episode one. <laughs> well, maybe not Chris's legs. You can have Jamie's legs and my axe. <laughs> I am very excited for this elven human interaction that we have going on. And they brought it up multiple times in this episode of the different perspectives that the elves have versus man. As the elves have been alive for hundreds and hundreds, thousands of years, some of them, and men just live normal mortal lives for a few decades. The elves still view men as they were thousands of years ago because that elf was there. The elf saw what men were like thousands of years ago, and men only have the perspective of themselves and their families and maybe one or two generations older than them. So the men view themselves as new and unaffected by Morgoth, but the elves who were there for it all, still view them as these creatures who are so easily corrupted. So it's going to be a very interesting conflict and the different perspectives of these two groups of people moving forward. I had a question about Arondir and Bronwyn's relationship. So clearly they've been around each other for a while now. Obviously Arondir has been there for 79 years, but more recently they've been around each other and have some sort of relationship. Is Theo, Bronwyn's child, is that Arondir's child? Because Theo's friend comes in and says, what happened to your father? Oh. You know, he left he you. Away? He ran away. No, he didn't. Is that Arondir? Yeah. And if if we're going with speculation, let me bring up something that I've been speculating, something I wrote down in these little notes I've been taking. Bronwyn and Theo never show their ears. Mm. Oh. Could oh. Theo, I think, very potentially... Could maybe be a half-elf. Bronwyn could potentially also be a non-human. I think there's some room for speculation there. I might. That's definitely a bit of a stretch, but we don't see either of their ears. So it could be. Theo does have long hair. And I'm going to go on note, episode one, say Bronwyn is an elf or something. And Theo... Half-elf. Who knows? Who knows? Do we think, considering how passionate Theo is in regards to seeing a Rondir and, you know... In that, like, why is this elf staying around my mother and my home? Has he seen his own ears? <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a really good point. I doubt it. <laughs> like, do you think we just get one shot where he, like, stumbles upon the reflection in a, in a pond or a lake and he just loses his, his goddamn mind? He brushes his hair back one day and cuts what? his finger on his pointy-ass ear. <laughs> yeah, what? I like that theory just a little bit more than yours, Andrew, I'll say. Okay. Uh, Mount Doom this early? I don't know, but that theory has some legs. I'll, I'll give legs to that one. That theory's got some ears, baby. Chris, it's Amazon. Of course they're putting <laughs> Mount Doom in frame on the pilot episode. No, no, no. I'm going to give that one Harfoot legs, <laughs> but the rest have real legs. <laughs> Speaking of Harfoots, what an incredible segue from our fantasy expert, Chris Pio. That's why they pay me the big bucks, baby. The last group of people that we got to talk about, the Harfoots. Harfoot hoopla, baby. Welcome to Harfoot hoopla. <laughs> incredible. What are your thoughts on the Harfoots? I I, upon immediately seeing them, I immediately fell in love with the Harfoots. They're one of the three breeds of the Hobbits, and 
I was just absolutely thrilled to see them just spring to life upon mm -hmm. the hunters moving away across the hillside. And it's nice to sort of see a little variant in Hobbit culture. You know, we don't have these refined tilled farmers. We have these countryside hillside dwellers. Wanderers. Wanderers, right. Nomads, if you will, trying to make most of their world. And, and they're primitive. You know, we even see a scene at the beginning where one Harfoot is trying to sell a wheel. <laughs> But it's it's more square and so i love that it was it was fantastic i will say i'm so glad you used the word spring into life that phrase because i wrote down the same thing in my notes here the tents the windows opening all of the theatrics of them coming out of hiding was so 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 reminiscent of the early hobbits talk about the director and the, obviously the stunt team, the coordination team, the set team, all read the books, all watched the movies. They nailed the Harfoots' whole environment. Uh, it was so cool to see. It was just, it was whimsical. Again, I'll bring back that word whimsical, which was just so cool to see. It was. Glad you said that, Jake. One really quick thing about when they introduced the Harfoots, they purposefully on the second or third frame after they pop up, they pan over to their hairy feet. They're like, <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> Here's hobbits. They purposely put their feet on camera. The hare foot of the horror foot. Now, Jake, I heard you actually had a bit role for that. You, you <laughs> were hired to show your feet? Yeah, Jake was the foot model. <laughs> was that your foot, Jake? Yeah, that was actually me. That was my foot in the shot. Besides Elrond's chin, they also needed the IMAX cameras. They also needed that for my foot. <laughs> Jake was the Harfoot's feet and Durin's nose. <laughs> It's impressive, honestly. Uh, and of course, <laughs> my personal favorite, Harfoot, Nori. Gotta be Nori. Immediately captures everyone's love. She's got this thrill for adventure. And it's similar to what we see with Galadriel, kind of opposing the general consensus of what her people should be doing. Nori wants to go out and explore the world. While the rest of the Harfoots are happy just hanging out in their little camps, wandering around, Nori knows that there's more out there. And a beautiful scene between Nori and her mom when she gets back from wandering. And she gets into a little bit of danger with the wolf showing up in the raspberry bush. Oh, those berries look so delicious. Oh my god. Oh. Let's spend at least four minutes on the berries. Immediately went to the grocery store. Immediately. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen anything look better on screen than those, especially in the tiny Harfoot hands. That berry was like the size of an apple. Oh. Ooh dream about that one but a, a beautiful scene with that berry is when she's discussing the lifestyle of the harfoots and her mom is telling her that we're not people who go out for adventures there's dangers out in the world and we're safe here we live our lives wandering and camping and and we're safe and nori reluctantly agrees with what her mother has to say but then she turns back around and hands her mom this blackberry which symbolizes awesome. what is out there in this world if you just take a risk and go for it what a beautiful way to set up his character for the rest of the series. And I don't know about you guys, but in regards to seeing her progress with the other Harfoot children, I really enjoyed seeing her interact with her closest friend, Poppy. Was anyone get the Frodo Sam sort of vibe there? They, they were definitely 100%, Lord of the Rings. Yeah. The main theme is friendship. The main theme of this episode was friendship. And the banter between Poppy and Nori was just spectacular. Yeah. Whoever this actress is who plays Nori is amazing. Wonderful. I love her so much already. Yeah. I'm in love with the Harfoots, but Nori is absolutely the front runner. That's for sure. And her adventurous mentality leads her to follow this meteor that falls out of the sky into this fiery pit yep. of a wizard 
Who knows? We see this meteor flies overhead and we get a cutback to everyone we've seen so far in this episode. We see all the elves, we see Arendir and Bronwyn, we see the camp of the Harfoots, and then we see Nori. We also, I don't know if anybody else noticed this, we see some Ents. Yeah, the Ents. We did see some Ents! Oh, that was such a... That was, that was awesome. Yeah, that was, that was yeah. fun. I enjoyed that. And then the meteor, of course, crashes into Earth with a naked old man balled up in the middle of this circle of fire, very reminiscent of the Eye of Sauron. Mm, oh, yeah. Who is it? Sauron. <laughs> <laughs> no, no way. Well, we do need, there is room for speculation here for sure. There's a lot of speculation. I think upon seeing the very first episode, I have new opinions in the second episode, but in the first episode, the thought was, is this Sauron? Is it maybe a wizard? The imagery was very Sauron. I'm 95% sure this guy's yeah. got to be a Maiar, whether it's one of the wizards or whether it's Sauron. After episode one, I'm definitely leaning towards Sauron, but a lot of new things to learn. I'll challenge you on that. Oh, go ahead, Jake. Yeah, well, I was just going to say, at, at the end of episode two, uh, I will give him a new title. You guys can, can wait for that. Whatever I, I think we'll argue on that one. <laughs> <laughs> so tune two. in for episode two to hear the title that Jake has for <laughs> The Stranger. Now everyone wants to listen, so you're welcome. It's going to be about... 30, 35 minutes in right at the end. So you're going to want to listen to the whole thing. (laughs) Stay tuned. Before we get to to the very ending here, I just wanted to mention a main character in Lord of the Rings is the soundtrack. The composition in the past was made by Howard Shore. I didn't hear it too much in the first episode, I thought, but where I did really hear it was on the introduction of Nori. I think her theme is wonderful it is reminiscent of the shire theme in the second episode there's a few more i start to pick up on but it's not as in your face as you would have seen in the lord of the rings trilogy yeah and fortunately we're going to be getting a lot of nori's theme as she is now tied to the stranger who is going to be a very prominent figure moving forward so we all have our theories we all might disagree on who this stranger is but we're going to find out together and everybody's going to come along the way with us let's get some final thoughts from everybody what did you think episode one final thoughts i thought as an introduction to the world it gave you everything you needed like we kind of said it it showed you different landscapes that where we can recognize it shows you the different cultures of middle earth maybe it was a little slow for some there was a slow burn but that's similar to a lot of the works by tolkien right i thought it was a wonderful setup episode that then really does expand when you get into the second episode i'm really excited for the elrond and Celebrimbor storyline Arondir in the south lands and gladriel somewhere in the the sea (laughs) somewhere beyond the sea (laughs) i was pretty skeptical of the harfoots hobbits that aren't hobbits but they introduced those and i love nori so that's all you can ask for in a pilot I'll say this. I mean, first episode, this was a clear skies flight from Boston to Philly. Quick, breezy, very comfortable, but they introduced things in a way that that gets me excited for five more seasons of this. One of the problems, I think, with some shows that come out about a specific fandom or about a specific topic that's already been discussed is they take either too long to get into it or they get into it way too fast. And I think now that we have a plan and we know that there's going to be multiple seasons, fingers crossed, I think they're going to really 
land the plane on this. And the first episode was a great introduction to everything we need for the five, six, who knows, seasons to come. Yeah, one of my favorite facts about the setup of this show is Jeff Bezos was approached by his son and he went up to his father and he said, Dad, don't fuck this up. And quite honestly, <laughs> I think we've done a pretty good job. I think he listened. I don't know how often Bezos yeah. actually listens to people, but I, this time I think he actually did and there's some credibility there. I, I'm excited to see sort of where they take this further. In terms of the soundtrack and the score, I think maybe we could see a little grander scale there in terms of what Tolkien and what Peter Jackson have thrown together previously. But man, I really have enjoyed you know, watching this sort of unfold and I can't wait to see where this goes and I'm excited to talk about episode two. Episode two is great. Kept me wanting for more. So let's talk about yeah. that pretty soon. Now, as we do every episode, we're going to throw it to Chris for a special segment we like to call... There's some good in this world, Mr. Frodo. We like to take a look at anything happening in the pop culture zeitgeist, anything nerd-wise. Uh, this week, I'm going to share some information that you might be ironically happy to hear. Jack Leeson of King Joffrey fame actually just married his wife, Roisin O'Mahony. They just got married this past week. I find it funny that he finally got married. Good for him. Congratulations <laughs> to the happy couple. But... His past weddings have not gone so great. So. No, how red was this so, wedding? Or how purple was the, this the wedding? purple wedding. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fuck, it was the purple one. It was, it was the purple wedding. Hopefully this one went off with, without a hitch. Hoopla! <laughs> so he survived, he survived this episode? Or this? he survived this wedding? As far as I am told from my sources, the answer is yes. His best marriage to date. <laughs> <laughs> So, as we do at the end of every Hobbit Hoopla episode, we go around and we rate the episode on a scale of 0 to 111 Hooplas. How did we all think episode 1 rates on our Hoopla scale? Starting with Andy. I am going to give this episode an 80 out of 111 for the pilot episode here. Hoopla! Hoopla! And Jake, what about you? Yeah, I was sitting around an 85. That's pretty much where I was hanging out. Hoopla! And Chris? I'm going to stick about a 72 here, a little lower than the other guys. We'll get our scales adjusted here, but it was a great intro episode. They showed us everything, the characters, the plot, the mission, if you will, and right middle of the road, great introduction to the series. I think I'm going to go higher than anybody. I think I'm going to go 90 hooplas on this one. Oh, oh my God, hoopla! <laughs> and maybe... Hoopla. Maybe that is just the nostalgia creeping in and I'm watching Lord of the Rings on screen and I just fall in love with it, but I really enjoyed it. It was great. So that'll bring us to the end of our first episode of Hobbit Hoopla, reviewing, recapping the first episode of The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. Thank you all for joining us. Tune in next week. Well, actually, we got another episode coming in right after this. They dropped two episodes of Rings of Power, so we're dropping two episodes of our show. And after that, we'll be doing an episode every week, so... Tune in every week, like, subscribe, follow us on all the podcast apps, and throw us a review if, if you feel we're worthy of it. <laughs> and now, for our moment of highest hoopla, our quote of the episode. Take it away, Andy. The quote of the episode today, Nori says, I can't help but feel there's wonders in this world beyond our wandering. Great quote. See you next time. Hoopla! 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 Chris has a special segment for us, a segment called. Oh, no, no, I was just saying I wasn't ready yet, but now I'm ready. You fool of a toque, uh, and that is my segment. <laughs>
<laughs> and Jake has jumped in to steal the segment. 